0: In our last few episodes, we've covered a couple different Democratic mayoral candidates in New York. This episode is about Scott Stringer, current New York City comptroller and mayoral hopeful. But before we kick it off, we need to call out a few things. We actually recorded this episode over a month ago, on April 25th. Soon after that, an accusation of sexual assault was brought up against Stringer by a woman named Jean Kim. In light of this news, we didn't think it would be appropriate to run the episode. It's been over a month, and Stringer has lost some endorsements, but is still in the race. Some polls even have him ranking in the top five. So we decided we'll share our episode so you can understand his policies, since you'll definitely be seeing his name leading up to June 22nd. That said, we really urge you all to do your own research on Stringer and the accusation against him. Son. You're tuning in to Don't Sleep New York, a podcast for the New Yorker who wants to stay up on policy and politics in the city that never sleeps. My name is Arpan, and I'm joined by Matt and Ronajoy. We're three New Yorkers who are trying to become more informed about the inner workings of our city. And we want to take you along for the ride. Today, we're tackling a very interesting figure in the race for New York City mayor, and the only current elected official running, Scott Stringer.
1: During my political career, I've had the greatest opportunity to serve our city. I'm a former state assembly member, so I certainly know that we need a reset with Albany. I'm a former borough president, so I know about community-based planning, land use and zoning. And I've been the city's chief fiscal officer for the last eight years. So I know every city agency. I know where the waste and the bloat is. And I know how we can redirect that money to do the most good in so many of our communities who have struggled during COVID.
2: Out of all the candidates, Stringer probably has the most robust plans, 40 plus pages on climate change alone. It's a lot to unpack. So let's dive in.
3: As Matt alluded to, Stringer has an extremely robust climate change plan. Essentially, we can break down his plan into six parts. I'll just hit the big topics and then we can kind of dive into some of his ideas. So a fossil-free New York City, so divesting from fossil fuels, creating green jobs, environmental justice. So he talks a lot about how lower income communities are impacted more by the climate change issue, creating more efficient buildings. So renewable energy, powering our buildings instead of natural gas and coal, being a more street and green space focused. City. So he's kind of anointing himself as the mayor of the street, bringing the squares that you'd see in Barcelona or other European cities to New York. And then the last piece, which we, we actually had a whole pod covering, is planning around protecting our 520 miles of seashore.
2: So let's actually jump back to the first part, which was fossil free NYC. I know part of Scott Stringer's resume as comptroller includes working to divest the pension fund in New York City, which is I believe the fourth largest in the country, away from fossil fuels. And that was,
3: to, to to be a bit more specific, it was a $4 billion divestment, which is very significant.
2: Right. And so what are his future plans to kind of continue the legacy that he started as comptroller?
3: So w- one of the things he wants to do right away is the ban development of any new major fossil fuel infrastructure. So any pipelines, any new buildings that are reliant on natural gas. He also has committed to going through a review process for the existing fossil fuel infrastructure and essentially putting a retirement date on all of that. And a unique idea that he he's brought up versus other candidates is creating a New York State public utility. So to kind of take power away from National Grid and Con Ed, uh, who might have less incentives to transition to green. And then some other interesting stuff that he's brought up is doubling the tax abatement. So this is essentially incentivizing people to put in more solar. So doubling the tax abatement from 20% to 40%. And then On all public buildings, so like schools, libraries, and city-owned buildings installing solar panels to change their source of power. That's
0: just page, uh, you know, probably up to page 20 in his 40-plus page climate plan. Each of these topics that we covered has a pretty robust plan in place not just a bunch of ideas but actually there's a lot of execution ideas in there as well
3: Uh, exactly and if we go through some of the other topics like some of his other ideas which aren't necessarily unique to him or ideas that are already being pushed in New York State or New York City so renewable Rikers closing down the jail and making that a hub for renewable energy Uh, a large part of that would then allow for the closures of peaker plants, et cetera, from lower income communities. And just to kind of dive into environmental justice a bit, like the the thesis of that is essentially all these dirty plants are in lower income neighborhoods because no one wants them in nice neighborhoods all these highways, BQ, etc., go through lower income neighborhoods. And as a result, there's higher level of air pollution, which causes harm to the residents. So higher level of asthma, other medical conditions. So it becomes this vicious cycle. So a huge part of his plan is to level the playing field
0: in that respect. Exactly.
3: And then he definitely appreciates that divesting from fossil fuels is not something that can happen overnight. There is a lot of jobs that exist in, in in that industry. So a lot of his plan touches on having CUNYs have courses that can teach you the technical skills that are required to get green jobs.
2: And, and that's actually a, a great transition that I think we can take into some of his plans on education, which also get very specific. So one thing that I find particularly interesting is that he wants to add into every classroom from K to five, a second teacher. Now this is something that apparently this, he cites already exists very often in private schools. So it can be proven out if you have the money, it's clearly you want more teachers. I think
0: the estimate that he's come up with is it'll cost roughly $300 million in budget to make that happen. An interesting thing, and I think we'll, we'll dive into this in deeper detail in a little bit, is that he knows where to find that money. He, he believes through audits of the Department of Education that money exists already in the DOE. Um, and so I, I call that out because I think it's it's interesting to hear how his experience as comptroller allows him to throw these ideas out, but also say this is where we're going to find the money to fund that.
2: Right. It's not as vague maybe as some other candidates. So in, in addition to adding two teachers into every classroom, he also has talked about tripling the number of social workers that are available to public schools. And those are people that can help kids who have issues that may stem at home or issues with learning or issues applying to college. Any of these possible things that right now there just isn't the staff to help with
0: this. Matt, your, your sister serves in the New York City Public School education. So how does she feel about plans like this, you know, as somebody who's on the ground?
2: So when I told her about Scott Stringer's plan to have two teachers in every classroom, she had two responses. One was that this is already done to some degree, usually more with special education. But Scott Stringer's plan calls for a second teacher no matter what, because there are studies that show, particularly K-5, through this helps increase literacy rates. It helps keep the classroom under control. And in addition to that, my sister also mentioned that she was concerned, okay, sure, you can add a second teacher, but does that mean that they're then going to double classroom sizes? Obviously, Scott Stringer doesn't plan on doing that, but that's a concern that came up. Uh, My sister also said that the tripling of social workers would be huge. She sees a a huge problem right now with kids not getting the resources they need during school or after school to help them deal with things that might be happening at home or outside school or behavioral issues, things that teachers are not trained to do. And actually, speaking of training, can also get into another point that Scott Stringer has brought up, which is that the current system does not train our teachers enough. There are some intro courses that happen when you're first hired. And there's like two hour workshops that happen after that. But uh, at the same time, there's a reason that 40 percent of New York City teachers turn over every five years. And you can imagine how hard it is to learn when you have teachers who are constantly turning over either within a single class. So Scott Stringer actually brings up an example of an intern who used to work for him, uh, who was in AP bio junior year. Halfway through his year, his teacher just left. And so they just had to fill in a rotating line of subs. And these subs weren't trained to teach AP bio and almost the entire class failed the AP bio test. So you're putting the kids in a position to fail by not having teachers who are consistent and well-trained. So Stringer proposes a sort of apprenticeship program where a teacher would work under another teacher for up to a year, learning the craft, gaining that experience, having their expectations properly set, which should hopefully incentivize teachers to be interested in the job and want to stay longer and feel comfortable in that position as well.
0: It's almost like a workforce development program specific to teachers. And as Rana Joy mentioned earlier, you know, workforce development in general, is tied to his education plan but it's also tied to his climate plan it's tied to how he wants to partner with CUNY schools to provide more resources whether you're teachers or whether you are you know working in the fossil fuel industry and we want to divest from that or whether you're just you know a New Yorker who needs to upskill so it's it's interesting to see how these different plans actually have these threads that connect them. And together. I think
2: Scott Stringer also does a fantastic job relating all of these issues back to something Ron and Joy brought up uh, in climate change, which is that these type of things don't affect the city equally. Uh, again, the black and brown communities are often affected more strongly by climate change, by issues of education. 80 percent of public school kids in the city are from an Asian, Hispanic, or Black background, whereas only 40% of teachers are. So there's a clear disconnect between those who are teaching the community and those who are of the community, and education programs, and specifically to help teachers be better at their job, should also help the community be more involved in raising its children. Yeah,
3: and it's also worth noting that Scott Stringer is the only candidate whose kids are in the public school system in New York. And, And another thing, to kind of build on that stat that you brought up, Matt, uh, which surprised me, is New York City has the most segregated schools in the country, and that's a result of the divide of socioeconomic class. Yeah,
0: so here's an interesting point when we step back, though. A lot of this rhetoric about diversity, about equity, inclusion, about marginalized communities in New York City, it's, it's a big part of Scott Stringer's plans. He talks about it a lot, and he talks about it as an ally, but ultimately... He's another white dude running for mayor, so we're balancing this idea of he feels really progressive, but he's also part of the political machine since nineteen seventy seven since he was sixteen years old, and he's also a white male it, it, How do we reconcile these three things together in a candidate for new york city in an in an era like today?
3: I think just to to begin with, at least in my mind, when we think of like these Lifelong politicians, I usually think of old money, right? Like a Cuomo, um, other people who are in, in Congress right now who were millionaires before they ran for office. Stringer is not that person. He grew up in Washington Heights. He has been a public servant throughout his life. While he has means it's not to the level of other people we tend to associate with this lifelong politician tag he's never left the public sphere to do something private to earn some money and then come back so that's one thing i want to start off with that he doesn't fit the typical image of what we think as lifelong old money rich politician as a result he's way more grounded and he's adapted with the times there was what was deemed to be liberal and progressive when he started
2: as a 16 year old and there is 2021 and i'll be honest when we were first lining up the candidates to research i was not looking forward to researching scott stringer i maybe this shows some bias but like arpan was saying i saw another politician who's been around the block old white guy i just kind of assumed i knew what i'd be getting and i'll honestly say that i was mostly wrong if you go into not only his track record but also his rhetoric I think comparing this also to Andrew Yang, for example, who we talked about a few episodes ago, he actually speaks about a lot of these issues in a way that indicates he's really educated. He talks about, in terms of fighting for civil rights, he talks about being an ally, but uses language like, I'm not actually a leader there, because I believe leaders for those movements need to come from those communities. And that's the kind of language to me that shows he's listening to people around him, and he's educated on these topics, again, in a way that someone like Yang, not to drag his name through the mud, but I haven't heard that from the Yang campaign at all. He, he sounds stiff on those kind of issues, and I was really impressed to see that type of language coming from Scott Stringer. Um, and one other thing I wanted to bring up again about his progressive credentials um, is that, I guess similar to how we sometimes look at Bernie Sanders, and you can point to his involvement in protest movements going back to the 1960s, Scott Stringer was arrested during protest movements around um, Aminu Diallo back in the 90s. He has worked to close Rikers Island while he was comptroller. Um, he was one of the first public officials to come out and openly speak against that. He helped to support the foundation of the Working Families Party as well. He's worked for tenants rights organizations back in the 80s. So he does have those credentials that he didn't just jump on a progressive bandwagon to get votes and that he is He's not pandering.
3: It doesn't feel like he's pandering at any point.
1: And so I want to make sure that we're finally going to do something that Michael Bloomberg couldn't do or Bill de Blasio wouldn't do, and that is to build real low-income housing. I didn't say affordable housing, I said low-income housing. And the truth is, we have relied on the big developers to trickle down and build unaffordable affordable housing. I've calculated this, I'm a former borough president, I know about land use and zoning. You know, this administration built more housing for families uh, who earned $150,000 than for families who made less than 30,000. And we've got to redirect our priorities.
0: I think some people, myself included at at first glance, had some hesitation here thinking about him as kind of part of the political machine. He served as comptroller during de Blasio's administration. Can we talk a little bit about what that relationship looks like? Is he part of de Blasio's camp because he was in office at the same time?
2: Sure, so the comptroller in some ways is actually a check on the mayor because you're the one who is like the cfo you're kind of managing you're the running budget. the audits of you, all
3: the programs The mayor uh, offices. Yeah. So,
2: so one thing scott Singer brings up uh, specifically when it comes to housing in NYCHA is actually that he's very very critical of how de blasio handled housing throughout his uh, term and he also brings up that he audited NYCHA 15 times which is more than any other comptroller so he by nature is used to checking that mayoral power. So whatever complaints you may have of de Blasio don't necessarily reflect on Scott Stringer's policies or desires. And he, as comptroller, was able to lead the way on many of his own initiatives, like we mentioned. Yeah, and
3: I think he was specifically critical of de Blasio on the types of affordable housing he was making. More or equal amount of housing for folks making over a hundred thousand than the actual New Yorkers in need, which is families making forty thousand dollars or less. And
2: go listen to our episode on affordable housing if you want some more information about that.
0: Scott Stringer, similar to Maya Wiley, actually has a lot of really good rhetoric about the current state of affairs with the New York Police Department.
1: You know, 40 percent of 911 calls are not for crimes, therefore other issues, mental health issues, quality of life issues. Why are we sending the police to do somebody else's business?
0: He compares that idea to what they do in Eugene, Oregon, where they send mental health professionals instead of cops. So it's similar to that problem-oriented policing that my wiley also supports
2: right that a lot of the issues the police are called to handle are not police issues they might not even be mental health issues they might be tax issues or something like that but so many of them are mental health issues and Scott Singer does call that out specifically that again with the concept of defunding the police it's really about diverting those funds to initiatives that allow for other organizations to help solve problems the police should not be solving and he's very explicit about that. So
0: he is a progressive candidate for, for all intents and purposes. But is he going to be able to convince people that, you know, not only is he ready on day one, right? That's that's a big part of his campaign is that he has the experience. As a comptroller, he knows the city's finances in and out. I think that's amazing because he'll know where to find money. He knows where there's a little too much bureaucracy. He knows where the audits have, have led to money being wasted and how that can be funneled to, to better resources but his platform is not really leaning into his progressiveness not as much as it, it could be I think. So well I
2: think I think his platform is it's his buzzwords it's the the way that his campaign is pushing that platform because I think again, going into the details, the platform I would say is progressive. I just don't see the that. campaign is't the campaign needs to in my opinion. Lean I mean the more campaign is that. just ready for day one. I'm gonna
3: manage the hell out of city, which is. N- it doesn't tell me very generic like hey i I am the only i'm part of the political machine i'm the political machine and what i'm bringing is like i know the system versus other people don't which is in 2021 in new york city is not an appealing uh slogan
2: we're also ready for day one but what are you doing on day one and that's that's what i think he needs some kind of catchy campaign slogan for yeah i
3: think as we as arpa mentioned as we go down the stretch especially with a system like ranked choice voting I think he can get to a place by the 22nd where he's at least the third or second candidate on most people's ballot.
0: Like we mentioned in the beginning of this episode, Scott Stringer's plans are extensive. We touched on the surface of his plans for climate change and education to help get you started. But he has pages and pages of ideas and execution plans, which are publicly available. To be completely clear, Don't Sleep New York is not currently endorsing Scott Stringer. To stay up to date on the election and candidates, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Don't Sleep NY. The music you heard in this episode was provided by Brooklyn-based artist and producer, Jackery. We'll see you all in a few weeks. Until then, don't sleep.